Once again, this is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. We will be speaking about the mayor's ordered budget cuts, and they are steep in a little bit here. But first, what's going on with you, Jay? Uh, you know, getting uh, getting up and at him in the morning. Uh, spent the last couple of days on a project. I finally finished it. Finished a project for uh, my uncle, my eldest uncle, who is a Vietnam veteran, and he's been working tirelessly uh, for the benefit of not only Vietnam vets, but other veterans. And, you know, he does speaking engagements, he does events. And um, so I put together uh, a page for him because he wanted to put a video out to talk about his experience coming back from Vietnam, the PTSD he went through, to, through and being undiagnosed and living with that and the troubles that that caused and just make a call to action for veterans, um, the younger veterans as well to go seek help because it's out there. Unlike when, you know, the, the Vietnam vets came home, a lot of the things weren't there, especially available to them. But now these guys coming back from like Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, all of this stuff is out there and it's available. So he said, yeah. So I wanted to put that message out there. So it sounds like a good project to work on. Someone recently said to me something which I thought was pretty insightful. He said, when you work for yourself, you think in terms of projects, not days, right? Not time. I think that mm -hmm. is something we end up doing, right? We can be working on a project for days and not even thinking about the time. We're thinking about, you know, I'm off today and working tomorrow, that kind of thing. No, so we got to get this project done and <laughs> then we'll think about taking a break. Right. Yeah. Like that was, I, I made that one a priority. Um, so the other projects, anything else I was working on, I just was like, right, let me finish this first. Um, so it was putting together not only the video, but putting the resources and stuff together. So, you know, like an about, about you page where I did like his detail, his military service, his story going from where he went to how he's, uh, where he's at now, as far as uh, using his, his healing to help others. And then a resources page for veterans where there are just links to various uh, programs and things that they could use to get help, like the VA. Mm -hmm. um, and then a, a page for resources of remembering veterans, you know, um, talking first about the Vietnam story and how those veterans, when they came back, how they were treated and what the difference was, but also things people can go through to get some more education so that people don't forget about these guys. So absolutely yeah so it took it took a little bit of time but you know got it got through yeah yeah if it's important work and if you think it's meaningful work that helps you get through it right yeah yeah it's felt like i needed to get it done well there you go that's an accomplishment speaking of meaningful work i was happy to be at nyu this past week yes we saw that with the students, you know, joining the Queens Link team. And I got to give a shout out to Andrew Lynch, the chief design officer who gave a phenomenal presentation to the students at NYU. You know, he spoke to them more like a peer, but I do like the way that he put his presentation together because it was educational. And I wasn't expecting that aspect. Of course, you're expecting to learn about the project, but the way he structured it, he was giving advice on 
when they're out in the world doing their advocacy or working on similar type projects or a different project, but maybe uh, infrastructure related or whatever, or even anything in the political space, you know, he was saying, these are some, some of the issues that we've encountered along the way. And this is our advice as you're going to be navigating this and you might run into something similar. You might want to keep your eye out for this. And so I liked that tone that he struck because he was coming at them as really a peer on one hand, but also someone who happened to be a little bit older and maybe more experienced in that world and had some lessons that that he learned himself that he was now sharing with them, right? So it was on, at the same time casual and conversational, and but but also it, it felt a little bit like a class, but a, but a, like a cool casual class. And so I did appreciate that effort he put into structuring it that way. Yeah, that looked like it was a, a good event um, in your write-up on it. So of course, I wanted to join that discussion. I serve as counsel and legal advisor to the Queenslink project. Um, we were joined by several others, Rick Horan, Miriam, Paul Trust, Noel. By the way, Noel put out a video on TikTok that went viral. I think it went over 100,000 views. We got 1,000 a, a new followers, something like that. It was, it was a pretty big, wow. pretty big thing. Um, yeah, so Queenslink team was in full effect, and they're all out there putting the work in and I'm so proud of the work that they've been doing. And um, I wanted to join and throw in my two cents where needed. Uh, part of the discussion ended up being about, well, what is the opposition to the plan? What are people saying? Basically, you're giving this nice presentation on a project and they were very well versed in it already because I believe this was an urban planning club, something mm. like that. So they were looking at these projects already at school and in their club. And so they wanted to meet with us and let us talk to them. So someone asked, you know, what are people saying out there in the community that are that are against it? Like they couldn't really understand or they're trying to get a sense of why people would oppose this. And the usual NIMBY concerns came up. And I actually told Andrew at one point, explain NIMBY, because he kept saying NIMBY this, NIMBY that, without any kind of context, even on one of the slides. I said NIMBY a bunch of times on it. I said, well, right. explain what NIMBY is in case someone doesn't understand. And he said, come on, not in my backyard. He's like, does everyone here know what NIMBY is? And they all nodded their head, yes. And then he yeah, but they don't let you in NYU if you don't know what a NIMBY is. And then they all laughed. But I thought that some yeah. context could have been needed, even if they did know. I mean, you know, you don't assume that everyone knows what the acronym stands for. Right. When you introduce an acronym, especially an so so-called industry-specific type of acronym, you always want to first say the whole thing and then you start to use it. Don't just automatically go in. Even if it is, you know, unless you know, it's still good a good practice to do. Right, right. right. And it's funny because I was watching, observing the students, and during the presentation, they're all very quiet and respectful, polite. But right. the demeanor is noticeably different. I got to be honest, from when I was in college, right? I went to a computer school, Polytechnic University, which is now NYU Poly. But even for a computer school, I think the kids were a little more, I don't know if rambunctious is the word. They were a little more maybe outgoing, puffing their chest out a little bit, a little more assertive in the way that they carried themselves in, a, in mm -hmm. an interpersonal relationship or even with, with a teacher. You know what I mean? Like they, they just might have a little bit of a different energy to them. This you could tell these kids grew up in a social media generation, right? And their at their demeanor is a lot more laid back. It was it was different. It was there was different air in that room, right? And mm. so for most of the talk, everyone was just kind of staring straight ahead. 
with kind of a blank look on their face. And so I didn't know, were they into it? Were they not interested? Were they bored? Were they not getting it? What Are they not engaging with this? And so that's why I even said when he mentioned NIMBY a bunch of times, I was like, well, for those who don't know, explain NIMBY. And then they all just went like this, like they know what NIMBY is, right? But I realized that's just the demeanor. I think it's just so that, you know, in colleges, you hear about that. People kind of, and not just in college, but I think younger people generally now carry themselves a little bit differently. But once we got to the Q&A portion and we opened it up to a big discussion, then everyone kind of came alive. It, was, it took a bit, you know, it was kind of like slow if one guy asks right. a question and someone else asks, but then after a while, it kind of opens up and now we're having this dialogue and you could tell everyone was very interested and engaged in the topic and well-versed and knowledgeable, right? And they're asking very intelligent questions. But one of the points that I wanted to bring up was when we were speaking of the opposition to the project, we're not only speaking to opposition to a train line, we're talking about systemic inequity, meaning South Queens was deliberately cut off from the rest of the borough and from the rest of the city. And you can look at the history with Robert Moses, dumping all the projects in Rockaway, the way that the parkway system was designed, the train system, everything. This was done intentionally, deliberately. And so you are trying to overcome a system of injustice and of segregation. It isn't just a matter of some people want to train, some people don't want to train. It's really a bigger battle, I think. And sometimes I think that piece of it might get lost, right? Because we're having these fights over the train. And some people say, well, they just want the park. And some people want the train. Some people want both. But what is the context of this battle? Why is there opposition in the first place? Why is South Queens segregated from the rest of Queens in the first place to the point where you need this train? Why is it so important that we bring this back? And I think it's important to put that into its context. And that's why this is some heavy lifting. It's a worthwhile fight, but it is a tough one because you're trying to overturn an unfair system. It's not just about building a train. You can build a train anywhere. And and yeah, there are train lines that are met with a lot less resistance in other places. Well, why is that? And I was not shy to even mention that. Not everyone, in fact, most people are not going to say, it, but there is that element of, we don't want people from South Queens and the Rockaways coming into our neighborhood. That certainly exists, right? And that's a side effect and, and a remnant and, you know, a, 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 a sign of the segregation that is there and was there by design and why there are people trying to resist overcoming it. I mean, it, this shouldn't be a surprise. It's not right, right. It's something that we fight, but it's important to understand that. And I think once you do understand that, you see why that opposition is going to be there. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that is important to recognize that it's not just about just a single train line that that full context um and which gives that backdrop to why this can be such a big fight right so right and why it's so meaningful it's why i am so passionate about the project myself right and i always say that it's not about saving some time on your commute it's about connecting queens right and then we yeah yeah now i was just gonna say and systemic issues are notoriously difficult to to overcome oh yeah um yeah but that's also why I think you can get people who might not live along that train line, who, who might not even use that train necessarily, interested in the project, like an urban development infrastructure club class at NYU, right? I mean, right. there are people who might be interested in in that, in the system of New York City and how you do have, despite its diversity, a lot of segregation that persists and how right. something like this could be a step towards undoing some of that really integrating it's really sad when you think about it in the year 2023 almost 24 we're talking about having to integrate society like it's a civil rights era but we are dealing with that still right it's Absolutely. new new words and we don't talk about it the same way we used to but these issues are still there and they're kind of 
embedded in our society, even in a place like New York City and a place like Queens, right? And it's important to keep that in mind too. Absolutely. And the thing is, you you said an important word there. You said embedded. When it becomes embedded in the society, embedded in the system, but when you go to change that or you try to change that, right. people feel like this is like an attack on their way of life. Like this is something that's out out of left field when it's yeah. like this shouldn't have been the case in the first place. Just because it has become normalized doesn't mean that it's the right way to go about doing something. So it becomes that, you know, so rooting that out is 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 more difficult. Right, right. And then some, I think, oppose it maybe not even knowing why they're so viscerally opposed to it. And that's just kind of there, right? That segregation, that uh, that nastiness, <laughs> all the negativity that comes with it, it's just baked right. into the cake to the point where some people nowadays might not even know what's, what's going on on either side of the issue. They might not know why they're fighting this way or that way, but it's just there. It's like that undercurrent that persists. Right. And, and, you know, we don't always recognize it, but it's still there. Right. And some of these issues are are, are so embedded and have been embedded for so long and in so many different places that when recognizing it you find all these threads to where they come from and it just looks like you're just completely attacking everything but it's like well look at where the, the roots were yeah yeah here 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 and it's all things like it's more than we thought and we have now since you know forgotten where thing where it started because it's become normalized yeah yeah, yeah. But see, the beauty of a project like this is you can build a coalition and get people who have all different interests on board with the train, yeah. no pun intended, right? Because some people will say, yeah, it's better for my constituents to commute, to get to work and school. Some people will focus on the economic development, right? Some people will talk about the equity issues, but you have people who might be focused on all different components of it who will find the benefit in it. And then you could build a broad coalition and you're actually making progress in society by focusing on this one issue that not everyone might be doing it to make that same kind of progress. Maybe they're doing it for other reasons, but it's one of those things that is popular with good reason, right? Because it, it does serve many different purposes. Um, right. For me, it's it's symbolic in a sense. I mean, it's not even really symbolic. It's more than that. It's concrete. But I look at it like, yeah, South Queens is cut off from the rest of the city. And that's why people have a hard time getting ahead in these neighborhoods. That's why they're held back. And 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 that causes many other issues, right? So if you can undo that, then you're going to go a long way towards addressing those other problems because nothing happens in a vacuum. And so, you know, I've always said that this is a very important issue for a number of reasons, but it's good that you can get so many people on board for you know whatever purpose whatever agenda they have i think it, it it's it, it's just so useful such a benefit to the public that you can see a reason to support it you know coming at it from any number of angles but one thing that was interesting that came out of the discussion was it was mentioned i think it was paul who mentioned that he met someone upstate new york and i guess he said that he was fighting for the queen's link down in queens or what have you and the person he met upstate said that they read the New York Times article that came out last year and they had a discussion with their family on it. And I guess they went around the dinner table and had a vote. You know, who, who wants, who thinks we should have a park? Who thinks that we should have a train based on the article? And it was just a reminder that those New York Times articles really spread, you know, it's not just a local paper. People in upstate New York are reading it and taking votes at the dinner table about what they read. That's kind of, kind of wild, right? To think about that. What was the, what was the outcome of the vote? 
I don't what know. It wasn't said in that. In oh. that anyway, I could ask Paul, but okay. It is interesting, and also the fact that, and I think we mentioned this at the talk at NYU that the New York Times article, as many of the articles, many of the media likes to portray it as train versus park, and right. kind of ignore the fact that our plan is calling for rails plus trails. Right? We want both, but the sexier headline to sell to the general public is there's a clash there's a battle on the tracks train versus park who's it going to be we're going to butt heads they don't want to make it look like you know the, the reality of the situation which is that there is a lot of compromise our side is offering the compromise maybe that might be somewhere hidden in the article but they want to present it as one versus the other right for the sensationalism and that's especially true of a paper like the times that's as they pointed out to me, one of the reporters once said to me we're not selling these articles to local new york city folks we're selling these articles to people in rural Ohio or Kentucky or, you know, anywhere in the country. And so we're trying to get that attention grabbing headline and even the story, right? They want to make something sensational. And so you do see that. That's why you saw up, upstate when they had this conversation, it was, which one do you want more? The, or, or which one does Queens deserve more? However they put it, the park or the train, the conversation wasn't, should they do both as we're trying to do, but it was one or the other, because that's how the headline portrays it. Right. And I think it's, <laughs> It's it's and we've talked about this before in regards to to media when they present it in certain lights like that it can be um, it, it it can be I don't know if I'd say disastrous but it can be you know a, a negative on on yeah. the movement that you're trying to that you're trying to execute because if it's not giving the full context if it's not giving some of the inch you know things behind what you're doing and instead of only focusing on an aspect that makes this sensationalist type of thing, then you could potentially lose out on support for the project. You could right. potentially have others misinformed about the project and the importance of it. Right. And so, yeah. like if someone, for example, really wants park space, bike path, or whatever, if right. they lose sight of the fact that our plan incorporates that as well. They might right. think, well, trains are cool, whatever, but I want the park. You know, they might not realize that, well, if we can have both. What is the you know it's a win-win for everyone why would you even dispute that right so and unfortunately that is part of the coverage that we see it's just it's more exciting to present it that way one versus the other and you're right, right. it can have negative effects because these papers what they'll do is they'll try to um make it look like a civil war on on anything right so right. when the when it comes to uh for example a uh, an election they'll put pictures of the most extreme candidates and, and you know one one versus the other and make it look like this is, this is a clash of far this versus far that and not realize that there's much more nuance in the electorate and in, in a campaign even but that's not what sells they want to make it look like it's like you know it's extreme left versus extreme right who will prevail and and that is dangerous, <laughs> you know right it can be definitely it definitely can be so before we get into the other topics uh, I want to issue a very dire warning to to everybody out there. If you if you happen to run into, and I guess I'm getting faded here. Let's just see if I can put this up here. There if you, you happen to run into this, leave it alone. <laughs> These Doritos, extra flaming hot, are evil. Leave them alone run far away from them these are not for human consumption they just don't even taste good they're just okay they're hot for no reason just leave them alone my whole 
mouth was burning yesterday. I bought two bags. So I'm like, because usually when you get the flaming hot, like the Cheetos or something like that, the regular ones, it's mm-hmm. not really hot. It's got a, it's got a nice little flavor and there's a kick to it. Yeah. This extra, uh, no, it's stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid. All right, you know, leave that I alone. I haven't heard of that before. I hadn't either, but I've tried the the flaming hot Cheetos and then um, what was the I forget the 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 Mexican um, tortilla checks. To, to, I forgot what it is the the tortilla snacks. Um, and All so right. sometimes I have the spice and have a, a good flavor to them. These have no flavor whatsoever. It's just hot. Okay. Yeah. So stay away from that. Well, speaking of staying away, I guess there's an effort to keep Mr. Trump from the ballot based on being involved in an insurrection, right? There's a 14th Amendment argument there. Right. No, the 14th Amendment does bar officers of the U.S. from holding office. And we'll talk about the nuance of that if they have engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. So there are court cases where states are trying to determine whether Trump should be on the ballot for president, given the fact that he has involved himself in an insurrection. Hmm. This decision in Colorado was interesting, and in fact, it's being appealed by both sides. So that should tell you something when a case is appealed by both sides. That means nobody's happy with the decision. Mm. Yeah, well, I think uh, what was it? The 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 appeal that Trump is more is I, I don't know if it's the ego. I guess I guess since the judge well, did not, say that he was a a red insurrectionist, he wants to rectify that. But right, but it's not just about ego. There is a legal reason why you would do that because Colorado isn't the only state that might right. pull them off the ballot, and so he doesn't want to set that precedent that he is an insurrectionist. Because let's say another court now looks at this and they're trying right. to determine the one part of it which is being appealed by colorado right they're, they're trying to determine whether he's an officer of the u.s well they can argue over that but they don't want the precedent if, if you're trump side you don't want the precedent out there that right. they determine that you, you are an insurrectionist so the only question left is whether you're an officer because those are the two components right. of this right number one is obviously did he engage in insurrection and number two is if so, does he count? Does the president count as an officer of the U.S. as contemplated by the 14th Amendment? So the court in Colorado found that he is an insurrectionist. However, he can still appear on the ballot because the presidency does not count as an officer of the U.S. as defined by the 14th Amendment. And so obviously that is the part that Colorado is appealing. It's a bit of an odd decision. Now, the judge's ruling in this has to do with the language of the 14th Amendment. And it says no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any other state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the U.S. or as any member of state legislature, et cetera, et cetera, to support the Constitution of the U.S. shall have engaged in insurrection and rebellion against the same. So they're saying he did engage in the insurrection and rebellion, right, January 6th. But 
they're saying that the presidency does not count as an officer under the U.S. And one of the reasons why, according to this ruling, was the language of the amendment mentions elector of president and vice president, but doesn't mention president. It says it, lay, it lays out, it lists the offices that they had in mind when they wanted to ban people from running, and it didn't mention president. Now, it is an interesting argument, right? Because you would think that if that was contemplated by the drafters of this amendment, they might have included that, right? Because they're saying no person shall be a senator or a congressperson or elector or president. Why wouldn't they say or president or vice president? They're not right. saying that. And that was striking right. to the judge. It is an interesting wow. argument to think about. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you can question why wouldn't they say it? Why didn't right. they say it? Was it because they assumed that it was explicit? But they were very, uh, um, they were very detailed and everything else it seems like so maybe yeah. there was a reason they left it out or maybe yeah and it seems we've uh, talked about this before on here it seems that there is this sacred treatment of the office of the presidency as far as the constitution right. is concerned as far as how courts interpret the qualifications for same right so you always hear about, well, the Constitution says you must be 35 and a natural born citizen and not much else. And so anytime there's an, any kind of effort to restrict someone from running for president, it always comes back. Well, the Constitution lays out the qualifications very clearly. And I think the reasoning is they don't want to deprive the voters of the right to vote for whomever they want for president if they meet those very basic criteria. Right. When you're putting limitations on other offices, you can see it isn't as constitutionally defined as the presidency. And so it becomes easier to set limitations on them. When it comes mm. to the president, it seems like the mentality is, listen, it's the president is the biggest, the highest office in the land. And so on the one hand, you might say, well, because it's such a prestigious office, we should be setting more criteria, more qualifications, more restrictions, potentially. But on the other hand, I think the prevailing view legally, constitutionally tends to be the people have that holy right, right? That's such a sacred office that we shouldn't be stripping the people of their ability to choose their person. Right. And we know that the president isn't directly elected in the U.S. They do elect, elect electors. And that's what this amendment even talks about an elector of the president so that's interesting you couldn't be part of the electoral college right uh if you were an insurrectionist but it wouldn't stop an elector who was not barred from from being an elector because they were an insurrectionist from voting for an insurrectionist right because right. that would be i guess the will of the people in that scenario so i understand the arguments you know not that i agree with them i i think that you do have a strong argument here because it says or hold any office or hold any office civil that, or military under the u.s and that's what i was going to to ask because it does say any office but then it says civil or military so then you, i guess you question whether is the presidency a civil office so it is, no it is i think the question really is is it considered an office under the u.s why and, wouldn't it and i believe the court determined that it wasn't considered. It, I think that's what the decision was, that it wasn't considered an office under the U.S. And then I think it even had other examples of how the presidency differs from federal offices. They're saying that it's not it's not considered a federal or a state office. It's its own thing, basically. Um, a, little, a little weird. 
Who, who would it be under? Who, is it under anything then at that point? I mean, no, they're saying to- it's not under the U.S. They're saying it's just president of the U.S. So it's not an office. You're not under the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not under the U.S. or under any state. They're saying it is the U.S. Basically, right? It's, it's, it's on the, that top level. It's not like Congress is an office under the U.S. I don't know. That, and that's what the judges rationale right. I'm, I, don't, right, right. You know, I don't know if i'm really on board with that I, to me it is a federal office yeah. under the u.s you know I, to me it is but you know to be fair i haven't done all the legal research on this as the parties have in this case so i shouldn't speak conclusively on it but right my first impression of it is uh, i don't know it, it's an odd it sounds like an odd decision and that's why it's being appealed right right yeah um yeah, it does. I mean, you would assume that, you know, the, the, the president is under the U.S. or um, later on, it says uh, as an officer of the United States, you would assume that the president is also an officer of the United right. States. Right. The judge is saying, no, it's not an office. It's not an officer under the U.S. That's what they're saying. I mean, and, and that makes me wonder, OK, well, then why do we have why would we have a leader that's not a part of the United States? <laughs> That thing is not a part of it. They're saying it's not under. It's not under the U.S. I mean, it's kind of the same thing in that regard. Like, I mean, if you're serving the, serving the U.S., right? You're under the U.S. Like they're there to serve. They're not there to rule. And also, they say or an executive or judicial officer of any state. Okay, so the governor of a state. Wouldn't they right. be an executive officer of that state? I would certainly think so. A governor, yeah. Right. And so they're saying that a governor would be barred, but not someone running for president, I guess, under this. Right. right. And he'd never held any other position other than... Well, right. But it wouldn't be what he held as much as what he's running for now. Right? Um, I think this is talking about anyone who has held any office before having previously taken an oath as a member of and then it goes on this line so no, if right, he had been a governor before then it should not according to this because it's saying no person shall be a senator or a congressperson or an elector of president or vice president or hold any office so the court in colorado said that this didn't apply to people running for president right for president well, for president, period? For any? No, for someone running for president. The question is, should he be on the ballot for president? And the court said right. that the, the 14th Amendment provision about insurrection does not apply to someone running for president because the office of the president doesn't count as an office under the U.S. Mm, yeah. I, um, I read this as it's, this is disqualification from holding the office. But it tells you which offices. No person right. shall be a yeah. senator or a congressperson or an elector, right? Or hold any right. office under the yeah. U.S. And so they're saying that the presidency does not count as an office under the U.S. They're saying that right. he does meet the insurrection piece of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, like I said, they've done I the research that's the, myself. That's, that's a funny distinction also now reading this because... And I don't know if this was done intentionally or not when it was drafted, but if you notice the first provision here, it says under the United States, right? And then if yeah. you keep on reading a little bit, the next one says an officer of the United States. So it uh, seems like it's saying that no person shall be any of these things, you know, or hold any office under the U.S. 
if, as an officer of the U.S., they engage right. in insurrection. So, right. and I think personally, I think he did both <laughs> as no, an officer. Right. So, so the court is saying that he did the insurrection, and I believe they're saying that he acted as an officer of the U.S. when he did that. Right. But they're right. saying that running for president doesn't count as an office under the U.S. as the first provision says. So if they would have changed yeah. that under to of and have them both say of, then he might have been covered under this ruling. Yeah. And so the, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's strange to me. It is strange. And of course, right. sometimes do this. They'll sometimes reach this conclusion that seems to have been reached with logic that you don't understand or you didn't see coming right it's like right. i understand them saying that he could run for president because they didn't consider that to be an insurrection on his part but they're not saying that they're saying he absolutely right. is an insurrectionist but because right. it's under or not of or whatever you know that's it's weird it's it's weird and it is going to be and here's the, the bottom line on this it is being appealed like we said by both parties right it's very likely going to go to the u.s supreme court um i don't think we have a lot of faith in what the u.s supreme court is going to do no, they're going to definitely side with the side that says that he can continue to run. Right. They might even side with the side that says he's not an insurrectionist at all. Right. Right. And yeah. And, you know, that could be part of the strategy. Push it to the Supreme Court because he knows he's got a conservative chance there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's it's very crazy. But like you said, they're going to be appealing it on both fronts. Um, right. Now, are there more more cases like this being held across the country? I believe so. So there could be potential to have an opposing decision from a different judge. Right. And that's one of the reasons why a case will go to the Supreme Court, right? Right. The circuit split. One right. court does one thing, one does another thing. Now the Supreme Court has to come in and give the final say on it. So right. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Politically, I'm not sure it's the best tactic to take if you're trying to win the election but i do think taking the politics out of it just thinking of it legally and morally uh i think that anyone who engaged in an insurrection who's essentially declared himself or herself an enemy of the u.s should not be allowed to run for office i mean that's logical to me right but as a strategy i don't know if it would actually help the democrats i might backfire in a sense that it might look like they're doing whatever they can to, to cheat look they, they try to steal it again they might start saying things like that right no i agree and you would you would you would think that any any citizen in the country would would agree with that that you wouldn't want an insurrectionist yeah uh, running for for office especially the highest office in the land but then you're going to get into that 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 split there of, of saying, well, he wasn't an insurrectionist. And, and, you know, even though the court is said, yeah, okay, he is, but in people's minds, no, he wasn't an insurrectionist. That wasn't what it was, but just that on its base value, you would think you wouldn't want anyone doing that running for office. Right. Right. Although there is that philosophy that's out there that the power should be with the people. And so, if the people don't want someone like that running well then the people don't have to vote for that person uh, that's that's true too that's true um so you know i think that is like i said i think that's why it is difficult especially when you're talking about the president why it's so hard to put legal restrictions on it because it's looked at as yeah. you're disenfranchising the people right the the power is supposed to be with the people to choose their leader right 
you know, and and ideally, idyllic thinking would be good and bad, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they choose a bad leader or choose a good leader, it's up to the people to 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 make that decision, right? Right. Because uh, once you do, if you do start putting restrictions on it, then then the question will become up. Well, then who's running the show? You know, are you in power just to stay in power? Are you in power to make sure that it's done this way or not? Right. Although we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we have three branches of government. One right. of them is the judicial branch. And so they are tasked with interpreting the Constitution, interpreting the laws, judging whether laws passed by the legislature and signed by the executive are constitutional, are lawful. Right. So it is part of that system of checks and balances we have. And if something is illegal, then they're supposed to call it out and make the necessary ruling. I mean, you know, supposed it, to, they're supposed to, but it, you know, that applies to elections as well. If someone doesn't qualify for the ballot, let's say, well, it's up to the courts to make that determination. So, right. This is, I guess, another iteration of election law, albeit with very high stakes. Very, yeah, very high stakes. And with, you know, if you're talking about going to the, the, the judicial branch where, things are kind of stacked in one favor uh, at this point. Um, so it's... Yeah, I don't really see any scenario under which they say he can't run. Although they yeah. have come out with rulings that were adverse to his interests, right? Which always raised eyebrows. Like, wow, his appointees are going against him. But something like this, though, he right. appointed them. So I just, this is the cynic in me, but I don't think right. it's me. I think most people probably feel that way, right? <laughs> in spite of what the Constitution is, I don't see this Supreme Court making that decision no this is going to be split along you know the 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 normal lines right the conservatives yeah. the and the and the people he appointed are going to be like yeah he can run and then the the other sides could be like no like he shouldn't be able to run right right and of course and since they have the majority that's what it's going to be he's going to be able to run now this could potentially be it could be an out for the republican party Mm. Um, because like we've known like the, well, the Republican party from when his first election is very different than the Republican party. Now we know that they didn't want him then, but they really couldn't stop him. Right. Right. Because he could have gives the support he had. He could have just, if they said, yeah, we're going to make sure you don't run. He could have gone his own way and taken half of their votes and they would have not been able to come to the party. Um, and he can do that again today. Just that the Republican Party is made up of a lot more people who are on his side, even though we have seen a little bit of, of you know, snake eating its own tail recently with people trying to get their position by by knocking some of the things that he's done. But overwhelmingly, he's still got that support. If that core of the Republican Party is still in that mindset of we're only get, dealing with Trump because we have to because he could basically take our vote, split our vote so much that we couldn't win. This could be uh, an out for them to be like, oh, sorry, nothing we could do. The Supreme Court said you can't run, dude. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, so yeah, if, the Supreme Court would actually say that, but I don't think they right, would. Right, <laughs> yeah. But, right. Yeah. You know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he enjoys about 35% of that Republican vote, which is just locked down, right? 35% of, the, of, I believe, of the yeah. vote is just his it seems like nothing he can do would make that go away right so i mean he's he's got that whole party by the by the sack 
And but something else, though, thinking about it, you are seeing candidates drop out now, right? We saw Tim Scott drop out, like Pence drop out. Who was the latest one to go off? Uh, you, you're hearing it pretty often. If DeSantis drops out, and I think that's actually coming, believe it or not, and it ends up being a one-on-one with him versus Nikki Haley, it could get interesting, right? The reason why he was able to win that first primary was because it was so split. And I think it was too late by the time people started dropping it. They were dropping it after the primaries were being held and he was racking up the delegates and what have you. But let's say prior to the first primary, prior to January, it evolves or devolves, however you want to look at it, into a one-on-one. That would be interesting. I think on a one-on-one, Nikki Haley could potentially win that. I don't know. I don't think I don't think she has what it takes to beat Trump in that regard. Well, he's only got 35 percent of the support. I mean, how many of the Republican elector, you know, primary voters are never Trumpers? Probably it's got to be close to 50 percent of them, right? Nah, I would I would say that. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think I think even the never Trumpers are going to or not all of them. But if it comes down to a general, they're going to put their support behind him so that the party can uh, win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gen- I'm not talking about general, though. I'm talking about in a primary. Yeah, in a, I don't think I don't think she could beat him. I think I don't think anyone on that side can. On a one can, on one, a one on one. I don't think so. I don't think so. For some reason, people just eat up his nonsense. They just eat it up. Um, yeah. And then don't forget, what's him call it? Is, I think he's still in the race, isn't it? The Vivek or whatever, or has he dropped out yet? He's still in the race. He's still in the race. He needs to go. I, I can see him dropping out too. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. It's. It's interesting to think about because he's done so well with the party splintered so much. And I think that's why people are starting to drop out now. They're realizing the only chance of beating him is to coalesce around one candidate, which is going to be Haley. It's got to be in this in this primary field. I don't see anyone else. You know, it's not DeSantis. DeSantis lost all of his juice. He's he's done. Right. So. He doesn't have the personality. No. Yeah. So, it you know, it could happen, especially if these criminal trials proceed because at a certain point, I think even the Republican electorate is going to see that he's going to be unelectable, right? They're going to want to win more than they want him as their candidate. I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, you got people, some of his, especially his diehards who are basically compare him to a biblical figure, you know, they go a very small number. Yeah. But, uh, that's you know that's that's a dangerous thing um that's that's people who who hold those core beliefs and that spread that belief and there's there are a lot of trump people now on the other side his his popularity and support and that ideology doesn't seem to have been enough to sustain uh the platforms of truth social and um uh parlor because both of those uh, Parler already went under. True Social has lost seventy-eight million dollars in the last two years. So even though that is a strong base moving forward, maybe it's not as solid as as some might think. Uh, as an you it's know, not. it's really not. It's not. It's just that you have people who are very vocal, right? Who will make the most noise on it. Yeah. But if you look at the numbers, like I said, I think it's about a third, maybe thirty-five percent of the Republican voters or solid for him but that leaves a lot of room to do things it does and i think 
if I said this before, if he is convicted criminally, now we have to look at the timeline. I know some of these courts are trying to move up on the timeline. I know he's trying to delay everything till after the election, right? right? But if they move forward and he's convicted criminally on some of these serious charges, these felony charges, I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he, he will win behind bars. It's possible. I don't think so, though. I don't think I think the support is going to drop because you can't look at it in terms of who are the diehards. You have to look at the people yeah. in the middle, the swing voters who can go either way. Right. Who voted for Biden last time. I know people are disappointed and we can talk about that whole thing about how the rebound of the economy wasn't as fast as some people would want. And that always happens. Right. When there's a, a rebound, a lot of people say, well, it's not fast enough. And, you know, OK. But even with all that, I don't see it a whole lot of people siding with the convicted felon at the end of the day. His diehards are, yeah, diehards are going to die hard. But the right. people who can go either way, they didn't vote for him in 20. I don't think they can say, I'm disappointed in the economy, but I'm going right. to go with the guy behind bars. I don't think they're going to say that. And in fact, when you look at the election results, you know, in spite of what the polls say now, look at the actual election results that have happened. They've right. actually been very kind to Democrats. I think the polls actually showed the Republicans doing much better than they ended up doing in the past few years. Look at the midterms last year. Look at what happened in the elections that were on the ballot this year in various states. The, the Democrats really overperformed. You know, and I think that's yeah. people, people by surprise. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I hear you and I agree, uh, but I don't think we can um, attribute or compare Republican Party performance to Trump performance. He kind of had that right. He's not on the ballot himself, but you kind of have to make that connection. Or conversely, you could look at Democratic Party performance as Biden performance, because that's what people do. They look at who's on top, right? Who's the figurehead? Who's the leader, so to speak, of that party? Yeah. When they I think it. Trump has a Trump is a, a an entity unto himself. Um, I mean, I think you can definitely draw some correlations to that. Yeah. Um, but and there have been, but we've seen like a lot of GOP hopefuls or even people in elected office have tried to follow Trump Trump's path, right? But it doesn't work for them. It works for him for some reason, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work for them. Like they can't get away with the same things he can get away with. And so I think there's correlations, but not exactly a one-to-one. -one. There's just something that that he's appealing to a certain group right. or, or of a large enough group. And and part of it, I think also is um, he does have the, the, the GOP by the nuts. Like, I mean, even if it's a 30, 35%, that's enough to make sure that no one else in the party gets in, into office. If he takes 30% of the vote and walks away with it. Yeah. But here is the other side of it. So yes, I agree that he is a unique figure and he brings out voters who might not vote if he's not on the ballot. And maybe you're seeing that in some of these states, but he also brings out a lot of voters to vote against him when he's running. Absolutely. And so in a presidential year, especially one where he, let's say, is the Republican nominee, you're going to get a much higher Democratic turnout than you saw this year and even last year, right, where Democrats did well. So now take their victories from 2022 and 23 and add millions more voters who are voting, coming out to mm -hmm. vote against him. So I think that effect is, you know, you shouldn't discount that effect. Yes, more people will show right. up on both sides, but I think it is going to invigorate uh, the base, certainly on the Democratic side, and you'll get more kids, more young people, more people who don't usually vote, people who just come out in droves and say, we can't have this guy in office again. Yeah, um, I, I hope. I hope that's what happens. Um, I think I think there are a few things are going to uh, bring a few few more people out this time and at a um, this 
Israel-Palestine conflict is definitely going to spur more people either to get involved or to be more disillusioned. It's going to be something in that regard. But yeah, um, with with Trump, uh, you know, some things it's like all bets are off. You know, (laughs) (laughs) he's yeah, he's very unpredictable and he just holds too much sway. Even if it's all BS, it's just too many people that fall for it and follow it that you know i don't know it's it's not how many times can you keep singing the same song though you know when he's been doing it for a while now and people you know but he has right but he also lost by millions of votes both that's true and and, you know that's absolutely true absolutely true lost the electoral college last time so that's absolutely true i think um your point about um you know some of the people dropping out and deciding they're going to coalesce around uh you know one or two other candidates to 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 get things moving could you think you think that might be a strategy uh for DeSantis like uh, let me just try and wait until so many people drop out and then maybe I can pick up some more support from people looking for a different candidate. No, I think DeSantis is next to drop out keep your eye on <laughs> Yahoo News CNN Fox MSNBC whatever you look at keep your Fair eye enough. I I mean, that headline is coming soon. Fair enough. I mean, he they actually started exploring looking at dropping out like what about a month or so ago? Like it's been his campaign is going nowhere fast. I think his mindset now is I dipped my toe into the pool, the national pool. You know, it didn't go the way I wanted it to this time around, but that's okay. I'm going to drop out before the first voting happens to save face and maybe in four years try again. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the last time. Even if he does drop out, we're not done. Yeah, yeah, no. That's why he would be dropped. To be clear, he's dropping out, in my opinion, because he's trying to keep himself fresh to run next time. Right. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not done with the plague of DeSantis. So. No, but we also saw that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be on the national stage. Right. He doesn't have the charisma. No, he doesn't have the charisma, but he does have the 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 deviousness the the political acumen to get some of this this stuff that most people would be opposed to to get it passed through and we've seen what he's done in florida so he would be dangerous i wonder though on a national stage this is going to have an ill effect on him in florida i wonder if he was exposed being on the national stage if more people in florida wake up to him like this is our governor how this happened I, i don't know i don't think so i just don't have a lot of faith in florida I mean, so how do you I, know, you, I know you live there, but how do you become governor of a state like Florida as such a charisma vacuum? I mean, you would think it's not running for president, but it's still a big state in the country, right? You would think you would have to have some kind of bona fides to make it to that level. It's I think ideology got him there. It's his ideology that yeah. that that hateful ideology is just uh, strong. It's like Texas, in Texas, right? Yeah, he's speaking to a large portion of the electorate that still has that ideology in you, mind. Now it's yeah. popular to be okay with it. Right. But you just said popular. You would think there would be someone else who can spew the same things, but actually be interesting when they say them. You would think, but you know, I mean, look yes, at the, down to, to money, right? Having those connections to deep pockets and donors and being able to play that political thing. It's, it's not, it's not something anyone could do you know if, if i think if you had someone who was as well connected as him and had that same donor base but was more interesting they give a right. run for his money but maybe that person just isn't out there 
Yeah, Florida doesn't make a lot of good choices when it comes to governor. I mean, they had not only Rick Scott, then they had the the human the human phallus looking thing, Tim, whatever his name was. Um, and then uh oh no, no, not Tim. Was it Scott? It was Scott was Rick Scott. Rick Scott. Rick Scott. Rick Scott. And then before that was uh, what was it, Jeb? Jeb Bush, yeah. What about Charlie Crist? <laughs> I didn't know a lot about Crist, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a crazy thing. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on what happens and what the people do. We're actually not far off from the presidential primaries. They're going to start in January. Right. April is when New York gets it, but by the time it comes to New York, it's all about decided, so it's not as exciting here. Um, right. But speaking of what the people decide, we had a poll from last week. We did. Yes, we did. The poll last week uh was talking about uh, mayor adams's situation um as we know recently the fbi swooped in and seized uh some personal electronic devices ipads uh phones and this and that from uh from the mayor after a uh what was it uh, an event um over the potential allegations that his campaign colluded with the turkish government um and so our question was, do you believe Mayor Adams should resign over the FBI investigation concerning the potential collusion with the Turkish government for illegal campaign contributions? Mm-hmm. And the votes are kind of mixed. So uh, 61% said yes, 22% said no, and 17% said I don't know. 61% saying he should resign. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My question, though, is how many of those just didn't like him in the first place and are using this as an excuse? And how many of them believe this is the reason why he should resign? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there could be. Um, uh, from the comments, there were a couple of things. One person said, uh, in spite of a lot of incriminating evidence, um, they tend to favor waiting until the FBI completes their investigation. If the allegations are true, then he must resign um and then another person was saying that from everything they've read he should resign on the general principle of being a wolf in democratic clothing so i think that speaks to um what you just said as far as people maybe not liking him period a wolf in democratic clothing so they're saying he's not really a democrat right more republican ideology than democrat i would assume to be fair he was once a registered republican right so yeah. So that's, uh, you know, interesting. Um, there has been a lot. Like, it wasn't just his his stuff and him under investigation. There were a lot of people around him. Their stuff was also seized. And then there was, I think, earlier this year, there was also some people connected to him as well. So it doesn't look too good. Um, but he hasn't been charged with anything. Um, the investigation's not complete. We don't know if the allegations are true or not. Right. So, and that's the thing. This stuff all takes time. Now, right. for them to seize his phones suggests that there is something there that at least they thought was substantial enough. They don't just seize right. a man's phone without really thinking that they have something. And of course, going right. to the proper channels, right? Getting the right warrants and right. so. That is something that shows us at least reasonable suspicion. And I, I think they're thinking that there's a case to be made here potentially. But right. how long would that take to play out? I mean, right. 
he could be out of office by the time the whole court case. I was just thinking that too, right? I mean, you only have two terms as mayor, eight years. He's already done a couple of them. And I sound cynical here. I, I'm involved in cases myself, now civil cases, but still that have taken years. And I'm thinking, is eight years enough time? It should be. It certainly should be, right? But <laughs> right, you know, investigations right. continue for years and years and years. And then an indictment finally happens. And then he says, well, I'm not going to resign because I only have a year left in office or whatever, right? Like, right. is it going to happen in time? I don't know. Right, right. But then at the end, we, we've also seen um, cases where something happens and the news breaks and a politician resigns just for this same ideology and they prematurely resign. Like, uh, and Al Franken comes to mind on that, like, just resign because the, the optics look bad, even though nothing had been decided, nothing had been, you know, uh, found guilty. He hadn't been found guilty of anything or whatever it was. It was just the allegation. And so, like, you know, you you would want you would think you'd want to wait until we get more concrete information. But I understand yeah, I, that it's premature. It is premature unless he knows something that we all yeah. know. If if he right. he's going to actually be indicted, he's guilty, or whatever. But right. just with this information that's out there now that we have, I would say right. it's premature to resign. Certainly, right. And and it doesn't seem. I mean, I can understand calls for it saying it could just the the fact that it's an inv- investigation could hinder him doing his duties, but. I don't I don't see that happening. If it is happening, then that may be something to look at on his side. And that would yeah. be something he would decide and the people could call for. Uh, but and then we can also we also have to keep in mind just because they took his phone. I, I don't know if they've said specifically they're looking at him. They could be looking for information to get the people that they've already gotten. There were people nearby him this recently and earlier this year. They could be looking at stuff that could build their case for against those people. So, right, you know, right, or seeing if he's implicated or if it's right. on his phone that would bolster the case against the other people that are involved. So, right, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I think it's for me. I think it's premature, but it doesn't look good. Yeah, that <laughs> you know, and this relates to this discussion we were just having with the Fourteenth Amendment in the insurrection case. There are a number of people, a very large number of people in the country and even in New York City who hold the view that politicians are being unfairly attacked and investigated, especially by the FBI, right? By the FBI, by the federal authorities, whatever. And they look at it like a witch hunt. And that that might be with their thinking with this. Now, of course, Adams now is a Democrat. So I don't know if people who are defending Trump are going to be defending Adams necessarily, but there might be people who have that kind of mentality at this point that, yeah, you know, they persecute all the politicians. It's just what they do. And to be fair, if you are in a high position like that, you are scrutinized very heavily. And when it comes to campaign finance in New York City in particular, they really go after everyone. I mean, I've not been investigated, but every campaign in the city is audited and it's not a pleasant experience. I mean, when they, when we talk about an audit, they really are digging deep into everything that you're doing, you know, and so they don't play around when it comes to campaign finance, you know, right. it shouldn't be should surprised that the mayor, right. That the mayor of the city of New York would be scrutinized to a high degree. Right. right. Uh, you know, again, it is unusual to see the FBI seize the mayor's phone. That seems right. like a step beyond what you would expect. But right. this idea that 
the mayor would be scrutinized and investigated, right? What does that mean? I, you know, I can see that. I can see a, a president, governor, a mayor being investigated. It doesn't mean that they're guilty or they're going to be indicted or anything, but right. they're looking into things, right, to make sure that there is no crime there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know. Again, you just have to keep in mind that when it comes to seizing a phone and getting a warrant for someone's property, you are showing the court that there's reasonable suspicion that, right. that there is a crime right so that tells you it is more than just we're looking at it because right. you know to get they to had that to point, justify it yeah it, it it does take something to get to that point so right. that's what i think the part of it that makes us think this is potentially serious but we have to wait to see what happens all right and before we wrap up there was another point here relating to mayor adams as well yeah, definitely wanted to talk about this the budget cuts that he is ordering the city council can push back on this but i think he had previously ordered all city agencies to cut five percent or to find ways to cut down by five percent and right. that are additional cuts that he is ordering all in response to the migrant crisis and what he's saying is basically I warned y'all, right? And right. more help from the federal government and whatnot. But he's saying the money simply isn't here to do all we need to do with the migrant crisis that we're dealing with. And so, right. and he, he, and he ordering said, cuts, you know, to the tune of, of billions, though. I mean, this this is the big money we're talking about. Now we're talking about potential, uh, you know, loss of of uh, sanitation services, of police, of fire, libraries, parks. I mean, you're talking about everything, right? And, and so this is going to affect people in their day-to-day -day lives and maybe that's what he is going for maybe he wants people to feel it although maybe an odd choice for someone running for re-election i don't know but maybe the strategy is if people feel the pain then they'll collectively step up and demand something better uh, the problem is they're going to demand it of him and he's not really in a position to deliver it or it's just that in the, the the budget crunch is such that there has to be cuts otherwise they can't do you know what's gonna what needs to be done um he has been saying this for you know we've talked about this several times he's yeah. been talking about like the, the the budget crisis that they're have having to deal with the what they're outlaying to deal with the the migrant crisis coming in um and at some point it was going to cut into new yorkers daily lives because that money that's being spent on the migrant crisis would normally be spent in these other areas. Um, and if they don't have the money coming in to pay for all that, something's going to be, something's going to be cut. So it, it could just be the reality of the situation. Yeah. Part of the criticism coming from the city council is that he has been relying on for-profit contractors for mm. homeless services for the migrants whereas historically the city has used not-for-profits which are supposed to be cheaper right we see that's not always the case but at least in theory they should be cheaper and so the city council is pushing back saying this is partly a crisis of his own creation of course they haven't seemed to be too kind on the whole to his right. calls right he's been crying for a while saying that we need to do something about this and it right. seems like they're saying I don't know, maybe they don't want the heat in their own districts. I don't know what it is, but they're basically right. saying it's your problem. Right. And and I think he got the same response from the from the governor and from the federal government as well, it seemed right. like. Right. Uh, so I mean, you know, what what is he what is he to do if people aren't going to either come to the table and, and try to help hash this out? 
Um, he's going to have to make some decisions because ultimately it will fall on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah. So, so we wanted to ask the people out there, and I guess this one would apply to New York City residents, right? But we wanted to ask as the poll of the week, are you personally concerned that the proposed budget cuts in New York City will affect your day-to-day -day life in a negative way? Yeah, I think people may may not realize it, but you know, if you're talking about cutting back on sanitation, you're talking about cutting back on uh, what was it? The the, the libraries are going to be yeah. closed on Sundays now. Um, that that's not just be that doesn't just affect people who go to the library to or, to read something, but it could be where kids go to study. It could be go you know whatever. Use the computer. You got to deal other. You got to make other arrangements, other plans, other you know situations. So, what'd you say? I uh, said so to use the computer. I believe the study came out computers. a couple yeah. of years ago, showing that a third—I think it was a third—of households in New York City did not have reliable broadband access. Right. So they so, have to use the library and public facilities. Now, if they can't go on Sunday, yeah, that is going to affect many people. Yeah. And then, you know, what does that what does that do for the, the workers who are working on Sundays? Or are they on a salary or are they on a, an hourly wage? Do they not have that day of work now, that income? Yeah. And, and some jobs are being cut. Some programs are being cut entirely. Right. There was an article about, I believe it was employment and employment program to the Parks Department that is being eliminated as a result of these budget cuts. Now, he did say that or at least he hopes that the NYPD and the FDNY and the sanitation would not be affected by the subsequent cuts, right? But I believe they are feeling it from the current cuts that are on the table. I mean, this is just an ongoing process here. And um, this is affecting the current fiscal budget. Of course, when we go into next year's budget that the city council has to pass, we're going to be dealing with, uh, you, you would have to assume, more of these cuts, right? Unless something... Right significant is done about the crisis right and we did bring up we did question um in a discussion this idea that was being that you mentioned about um relying on for-profit companies like when we were talking about the uh hotel rooms that they were that they were using and how much it was costing and it was definitely much more than what would even a regular customer would would uh use to, oh, to yeah. stay there yeah and um so there, I think there, to me, there is validity to questioning why they're using for-profit contractors versus, you know, some other options or maybe negotiating better rates. At the same you know. time, though, right, right, right. Well, I think part of it is an issue of space. Part of it sure. is an issue of having to do something quickly on an emergency sure. basis. I know that's an excuse the city likes to use, but when you are dealing with over 100,000 people, you have to right. do something, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. all these hotels, many of them are vacant. I can right. see why there's that urge or that you know thought to yeah. utilize that space and, and do it that yeah, way. People have to get in a shelter immediately. Yeah, you can't but just it, have yeah. And when it comes to opening up a homeless shelter to a nonprofit, there is a lot of red right. tape, right? It's got to be, you got to have the contract approved by the controller and different things have to happen. But I will say this, and I've dealt with this myself as an attorney. If you look at the contracts for these not-for-profits that run homeless shelters, they have been ballooned to a ridiculous mm -hmm. proportion as well. And you can break down and do the math on it and look at, okay, how much per how much money is that nonprofit, that 
supposedly nonprofit getting per person per month. And it's a ridiculous amount. I mean, it's always more, much more than it costs to pay rent for a one bedroom apartment. Right. And that's, it's crazy. And it shouldn't be like, I, I just, that always, that always bothers me when, when, and, and they do it in, in various different industries as well. Same with insurance, like, right. Um, the cost of a meta of medicine for direct consumer would be billed at a lower rate than it would be billed to the insurance company. And the insurance company is going to be billed multiple times higher for the same thing. And it just, it just makes no sense. I mean, I understand from profit perspective and this and that, but it just, you know, it just makes things much more difficult than I think it should be. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of greed out there. That's really but it often comes down to, you know, these kind that's why it's kind of laughable when you say we should be using nonprofits. I mean, I think nonprofits should be nonprofits because in some cases a nonprofit is actually big business. Absolutely. Absolutely. A, a, a lot of cases, there's a lot yeah. of big business nonprofits. I mean, you know, but the red cross, you can't tell me they're not pulling in a bunch of money, yeah. you know, worldwide organization that's it's big business that's why i guess they changed from non-profit to not for profit right they call themselves that not for profit to try to right. make that distinction we make profit but that's not what we're for <laughs> right 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 so yeah it's you know it's, it's a it's a difficult one um yeah. but something definitely has to be done because the people are there and you can't just have a hundred thousand people just walking around the street with nowhere to go right um, especially right. when winter's coming up do you think that the mayor is going to take most of the heat for this yeah absolutely i think everyone's everyone's gearing up to do that i mean if the, the city council is is criticizing him for what he's doing um the federal government came out and uh blamed him for not having an exit plan um you know the governor wasn't really on board with his idea of spreading things around the, the state to other open areas like i think he's yeah he's gonna get the blame for all of it i don't and i don't think it's fair because the the law that's in place that's kind of allowing this to happen one was put in place before he became mayor uh two it's being exacerbated by these GOP governors and some of the other states that are basically shipping people up that way or making this idea that, yeah, go to New York instead, do, do this and that. Yeah. Um, and again, the federal government doesn't seem to be looking out. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's fair how, you know, it's kind of left to him to do like that. But, you know, I guess that's heavy. What is the change in immigration policy at the federal level as well. Right. Right. Yeah. People not being made to stay in Mexico pending their asylum hearing, right? They can just come in to right. the US. And so that you're hearing things like, well, they're seeking asylum, but they're not going to get a court date for their asylum hearing for another 10 years or something crazy. In the meantime, I guess New York City has to bear the brunt of it. Right. Um, it's interesting to me, though, from a political perspective, if someone were to challenge the mayor, it looks like the left is gearing up to challenge the mayor. I'm not sure if they're going to win that argument politically because they're saying, as you mentioned in that comment there, he's a wolf in democratic clothing, right? They're saying that his stance on it is too conservative and he's not kind enough to migrants. He's anti-immigrant, right? We heard that rhetoric. 
we I'm heard that sure. that that's what they will be running on right that he's right. not kind enough to migrants i'm not sure if that's a winning message even in a democratic electorate citywide i mean i think that it actually plays into the mayor's hands i i agree i mean the, you can't say he's not you can't really say he's not kind enough when he's actually you know cutting some of the budget to the rest of the city to make sure that this you can still service um the immigrants coming in like it's going to be it'd be a tough fight and anyone coming in to try to challenge him has to realize that this is going to now fall on their shoulders you know if they're so if lucky you, <laughs> yeah if, if you don't have a solution to this you gotta you gotta know walking into it right and that's what it is and we saw the polling showing that an overwhelming majority of new yorkers believe the migrant crisis to be a serious problem and so right. someone's going to be coming in and running and saying that oh you're just anti-immigrant by basically ringing the alarm on this well right. i think most new yorkers agree that there is an alarm to be rung here and so i don't think that's a winning strategy but that's in my opinion if there's a primary that's what's going to end up happening you're going to have someone coming in on the left to try right. to challenge him saying that he's uh, a dino or whatever you call that not de not democratic enough and i don't right. think that's going to work I, I i actually predict that he would win that and be reelected. yeah i don't know how much more you know he can do on this on this front as far as this particular issue um yeah. and who wants to take that on right i mean do you really want to be elected mayor and deal with that right now it's a, it's a tough fight especially especially when you've seen that the the federal government is helping the mayor the governor doesn't look to be helping the city council is not yeah. looking like they're right. walking in and it's gonna stand on an island alone in a, a massive uh crisis like yeah it's a yeah. tough one yeah 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 they, they always go after the mayor but as we see people tend to look at what's happening now and then place the blame on whoever is in office now, even if it was inherited. Sure. The honeymoon phase, they right when they get in now, we'll give you a month, two months maybe, but then it becomes your problem. It's not solved, it's your problem. Even if there are trickle-down effects, domino effects, long-term effects right. happening, maybe it was the previous administration, maybe it was federal, maybe, it's, you know, doesn't matter. Crime is a classic example. You can look at the national trends, you can look at economic trends, you can look at what is really driving crime up when it goes up, but to the people in the city, they don't care. They right. blame the mayor of that city for crime being right. up, even if it's up everywhere. So, right, right. Yes, yeah. we've had this, it's, it's like the situations like, you know, we've had this problem for like 10 years, 15 years now. Uh, everybody in office has been trying to work on it. No one's found a complete solution to it. You've been in office two months. You haven't fixed it yet. You're screwed up. Right, <laughs> right. Or, or the previous administration could have actually caused the problem and maybe things were okay when the previous person was in office because those effects weren't felt yet and because this right. is a long-term thing so if you know you're dealing with economic factors it could take time for the effects to really be felt by the average person by the time that happens that could be months or a year plus later someone else is in office now and they're like well when the previous person was in office things were better but they were the one who screwed it up and now the blame falls on the one who's there now as those effects are being felt and if that person in office now does things to fix it you might not fully feel the effects of the fix until the next person gets in and so right. you know these are all long-term solutions but i think people demand short-term help especially when things aren't going well i mean you can kind of understand that people get frustrated but i right. think you have to be able to think th this through and say yeah you know a lot of these things don't happen overnight crisis 
of this magnitude, you know, any of these things that we're talking about, they take time. Right. A absolutely. Absolutely. F fixing anything um, usually is it takes a lot more effort and a lot more time than it does to uh, to break it. You know, so. Right. Some somebody once said when it came to the 2008 financial crisis and then when Obama got into office and of course things were still bleak initially that someone said the Republicans drove us into the ditch and now they're complaining about the cost of the tow truck. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it happens, you know, um, it happens with everybody, you know, um, especially when we switch politicians, right. When a new person right. comes, uh, people seem to have short attention spans in that regard. And it's like, you know, forget about what happened before. It's like, well, you're here now like fix it. Like it's, we, we elected you to fix it. You got to fix it now. But you know, you're like, what, well, but wait a minute. Like this happened, this happened, this, like yeah. a lot of yeah. stuff has to be dealt with. Like, no, 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 fix it. <laughs> right. Right. Or it's worse now than it was. Yeah. But the other guy actually made it worse and right. I'm trying to stop it from being a complete disaster. <laughs> right, 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 right. So it's just the way of the world. But yes. So it looks like we, come to the end we have that was bleak we've come to the end <laughs> we have it could be yes so um bottom line this week yeah what is the bottom line jay oh on me uh -huh. all right um i think let's make kind of an extension off of what we we just spoke on um let's exercise a little bit of patience and understanding uh in when we're trying to, to, to fix situations and, and right the ship, because it, it does take a little bit of time to get out of situations that might have got a, we might have gotten into quickly. And I think for me, sometimes the idea is um, when we look at how the cost of gas happens at the pump, you may be paying, let's say, and, I'm, and I know people are going to be crazy. I say, for example, just a round number, say it's $1.50 a, a gallon. Um, now, versus you know and yeah. then <laughs> i wish okay, well, well, i don't know what is it five bucks now i don't know let's say it's five <laughs> like let's, it. say, <laughs> let's say it's five dollars a gallon now and then the price of oil drops people immediately think that the price at the pump is going to go down or mm. should go down immediately however they don't take into consideration that the gas station or the gas company had to buy it at that higher price and so they're still so they're not operating at a loss has to sell it at that price until they can get into the the new reserve that they bought at a lower price and i think that's kind of what happens with situations especially when it goes from politician to politician someone that was in before or an ideology before or a law that came from before sets up a situation that can't just be overturned immediately and we have to we have to understand that and make sure that we make allowances for that so that we give our our elected officials a chance to do what we put them there to do now if they don't do it afterwards that's a different situation but we can't just uh, be so fickle as to think that okay new politician new day it's going to happen day one it doesn't work that way so despite what they tell us right i'm going to do it at all on my first day <laughs> even though that's what they tell us right right so i think that's the bottom line let's have a little bit of understanding and, and patience in, in that regard um that doesn't mean we don't you know hold their hold them to the fire we absolutely must do that but understand that these things do and can take some kind of time 
well said. And of course, people can find us everywhere podcasts can be heard. You can subscribe and get the audio pushed directly to your device. We are on YouTube at Nuance Show on Instagram as well. So drop us a comment. And happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We'll be back next week. As always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time.